The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. We are in the book of Galatians. Uh, we are uh, in a series called True Freedom, Lessons from Paul's Letter to the Galatians. Last week, we looked at the first five verses. This week, we're going to look at the next five verses. We're taking this book much more slowly so we can kind of plot along and learn and get ga- and, and experience what God is doing for us and giving us true freedom in Jesus. So um, I'm going to read verses 6 to 10 for us, and then I'll pray, and then we will get uh, rolling together. So here is Paul, um, picking up in verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so we now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So let's pray. Father, as we look at these words about the freedom you give us in Jesus, um, they are startling and shocking, and they can be troubling. And so, Father, I pray that we would experience your heart for us to help us remain in the pure, good, undefiled grace that you give us in Jesus. And I pray, Father, amidst the many words that will be said this morning, that we would taste your pure grace. So it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, I'm not sure if you guys do this or not, but I am certainly uh, guilty of rubbernecking a great deal when I'm on the road or walking down the street or on social media. I'm just kind of like, what's going on? There's a car wreck. Is everybody okay? Um, there's an argument going on. Who's fighting who? What's going down? I want to know what's going down in the argument. I, I want to understand It's a bit like an addiction, right? I'm not sure if any of you would confess to doing that, but I certainly like the blow-by-blows. And when we open these verses up here in Galatians, it can feel kind of like, what's going on? (laughs) There is some serious fighting going on here. Paul, right out of the gate, is throwing some punches, and it gathers our attention, similar to like a rubbernecking situation, where we're just kind of like, whoa, this is a big change of tone, right? He goes from verse 4, he's like, look, I'm just so grateful, like, God's given us so so much grace in Jesus, and hey, you guys are really screwed up. (laughs) You ever had this experience where you're just kind of like, the tone has certainly changed here. This is one of the unique letters in Paul's, uh, there's 13 letters from the Apostle Paul, and probably in the entire Bible, this is one of the, the, if I, I can only think of this situation where the opening of the letter starts out in such a startling fashion that it grabs your attention, like any sort of argument that you see online. You're just sort of like, I don't understand what's going on here, but somebody's really angry, and I need to understand what's going on. Paul is doing that, right? And in all of his letters, he usually does this sort of format, right? Hey, guys, grateful. I love the gospel. We're, we're in Jesus together. I'm so thankful for you. Here's how we're so thankful together. Hey, you know what? I heard about this stuff going on. Let me kind of like, let's kind of work through this. Paul doesn't do that here, right? He's like, hey guys, really grateful for God's work in Jesus, and um, let's get down. Like, there's some problems going on. You know, he starts throwing some punches. This is um, a very startling 
a letter. It's shocking in how it starts us out. But it's because when Paul starts this letter, the whole, God, the whole letter of the Galatians, we're, we're talking this whole series, true freedom. Well, that true freedom is what we experience. We experience true freedom because God has given us such rich grace in the gospel. Given us so much grace in what he's done for us in Jesus. And Paul out of the gate is having to define and defend what grace is for his people, right? He's startling them with this tone because as a parent would care for a kid, he's trying to keep them from running down a dangerous path, right? So like there's like non-negotiables in everybody's household. Our non-negotiables in our household, like it pretty, everything's pretty non-negotiable, like, like discipline and like how do we work through things. It's pretty like, you know, open-handed on most things. The one rule that we have is you never, you never hit mom, you never talk back to mom. And that's really like for the younger kids. And it's when that happens, my tone and demeanor changes strongly to help them experience a rich and flourishing relationship with their mother. And also, we're a boy house, right? We got four boys. <laughs> like the way they engage with their mom, um, that's the only uh, meaningful relationship with a woman they're going to have until, you know, later on in life. So you better treat mom right. So the experience that they have of that relationship has to be protected and preserved, you know, this is for the younger kids. That's what Paul's doing here. He's protecting and preserving their experience of what grace is because their relationship with God is on the line. There is something critical that he's going after. He is helping them try to get at this reality of what does it mean to have a relationship with God and how do we sustain that relationship with him? So Paul takes this very seriously. We're going to take this very seriously. So here's the main idea for this, and we're going to kind of work through this together. Main idea of here what's going on in these verses, sustain your relationship with God by free grace. Sustain your relationship. That means preserve your relationship. It's an ongoing relationship. Sustain your relationship with God only by free grace, right? And that's kind of the emphasis here is on the only by free grace. There's only grace that sustains our relationship with God. And that can feel like, well, I know, I know this, this song, Amazing Grace. I know that song, but, but what, what is grace? What is grace? How do we keep grace? How do we, how do we understand what that means? How do we understand counterfeit grace? Like, what, that's what we're titling, the, titling this sermon. How do we understand what counterfeit grace is? What does it mean to sustain our relationship with God? So that's what we're going to be answering this question. Sustain your relationship with God only by free grace. And so how do we sustain this relationship? First thing in verse 6, keep pure grace. That's, it's, these are going to be very simple. Verse 6, keep pure grace. Here we have Paul saying, I am astonished that you were so quickly deserting him who called you in or by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Here, there's a, there's a couple images that Paul's kind of piling in together to help drive home the point of why he's so astonished, his reaction, his tone. So the first one is, right, he uses this phrase, you are deserting, uh, you're deserting, you're leaving, right? You only desert a path, right? What he's addressing here is not like, hey guys, I heard that you you got your Bible answer wrong on one of those questions. There, there's, a, there's a pathway. There's not just a, a thinking or a thought. There's a pathway. There is something that they're doing, a functioning of a way that they are deserting from. You desert from a path, right? So in the book of Acts, six times the church is called, in the early church, they were called the way. Before, they were called, before we were called Christians, they were just called the way. And that probably comes from Isaiah, you know, prepare the way of the Lord, right? There's a way of following God that, that honors who God is, and that's what the book of Acts is picking up on. The six times that it calls 
the church is called the way. So Paul is probably drawing attention to that. Hey, you guys are living outside of, you've left the way. And the second thing that kind of he's piling in here is that little phrase, I'm, I'm astonished that you are so quickly, that phrase, so quickly, that's actually a direct um, Greek word from the, <laughs> from the uh, Greek edition of the Old Testament. In Exodus 32, remember, God saves his people miraculously out of Egypt, right? He destroys their gods. He leads them through the river, walks them straight up to a mountain to show them what it means to be a part of his family, right? He saves them by his grace, right? That he leads them up to the mountain, leads them by his grace to be his people. And then what do they do? In Exodus 32, 8, it says they were so quickly to leave God's ways and turn to idols, right? The same word there. So he's using the same word, and then the same thing happens in Judges Right? They're being God's people. They're in the promised land. And then Judges 2.17, they are so quick. They tr- the, the, the phrase is, they soon turned aside from the way. they so so quick. So when Paul uses this, he, he's kind of showing them like, hey, guys, like not only are you guys really messing up, but you're joining a who's who's list in the Bible that you don't want to be on. <laughs> right? People that you don't want to be in the like. Who are the people that you don't want to be listed with, right, in the Bible? Like, I'd really like to not be on the same list as, like, I don't know, Judas. Like, those sort of guys. Like, just people who totally, just totally messed up. Galatians, they're signing up for that list. So that's why Paul is getting their attention. And again, let's go back to verse 6, because it's not just that they got wrong doctrine, right? It's not just like, hey, you know what, guys? Can we really kind of work on this doctrine of the Trinity? Like, I know that it's confusing, but... He's not, he's not really wrestling with that type of thing. There's something more fundamental. You notice this? I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him. When Paul thinks about the gospel, when he, when he thinks about being a Christian, when he thinks about these Galatians, when he thinks about what it means to walk with God, it's not primarily you got your confession all tidied up. It's personal, right? You have so quickly abandoned him, him who personally saved you. It's not just about, like, do you believe the right things? It's do you know him? I am so quick, I am so astonished that you are so deserting him. And it's not just God, like, hey, you know, everybody needs to believe in God one way or the other. But it's God who did what? Who called you in or by the grace of Christ, Here we are beginning to get into what it is to know pure grace. Because to reverse this sentence is to say, grace is God's pure, undefiled, inviting, happy calling for you to be with him and to walk with him. Grace is, in effect, God himself for you. That's what grace is. It is God himself for you, right? How do they get grace? God calls them. God calls you, right? That, how do you get it? It's God's initiative in Jesus. It's God sending Jesus to die in your place, to rise from the dead, to renew the creation and your heart, and to renew you with him, all for you, so that you get him on his terms, right? Grace is God's activity, and it's personal, right? It's not just incidental. Pure grace embraces God only through who he is for us in Jesus Christ, right? This is, the way of God is simply this. God is eternally giving, 
and loving. That's what we saw last week. It is God's nature to be giving. It is God's nature to be constantly loving. Like that is his nature. That's who he is. And any relationship with him will and only be built on his initiative of who he is. He is self-giving and he gives himself in Jesus. What do we, what do we bring? What do we offer to the relationship? Nothing, right? We, even in Deuteronomy 6, God's people, they're like, hey, why did, we, why did we get God's attention amidst all the nations? And God basically says, nothing. It's all me. It's because I choose to. God says, I want you to be with me, and so you're going to be with me, but you only be, you're only going to be with me and flourish and enjoy me on my terms, which is to say, you add nothing. You don't um, coax God into the relationship. You don't hook him into the relationship. You don't get anything that you don't bring anything to the relationship so that God loves you. You just engage and know God totally because he loves you, because he is gracious, because that is who he is. Right? This is such a foreign idea that we are, we are born with this idea of conditional relationships. We're born with it. Like we just can't help but think, I, I have to have relationships, but they have to be conditional so that I know that I'm matching up, right? I know that I'm meeting the mark, right? That's why Luke 15 with the story of the prodigal son, right? This prodigal son basically throws the bird in his dad's face, walks out the door, takes his money, and goes and squanders it in Las Vegas. Not only is he squandering in Las Vegas, he's then, he's then cleaning the streets of Las Vegas, and his dad is in this, you know, I don't know, Montana mansion or whatever. I don't know, wherever his dad lives. And his dad is like, you know, he's like, my dad will never love me, but my dad, you know, the guy, the ranch, ranch hands around my dad's place are having a better job than cleaning the streets of Vegas, so let me go back to my dad's place. His dad sees him, runs out, and is so, like, it's scandalous. He embraces him to the, to the scandal of the family name, embraces him, and then not only is he so gracious to him that he brings him back into the family, he celebrates him with a big old party and kills a bunch of animals to have a big old feast, right? Just like you would if you were a rancher out in Montana, right? That's what, that's what I've heard they do. I've never been. And then the older son, he's so scandalized by this relationship that he can't handle it and is just so mad, right? Because we are born to think our relationships are conditional. Have I done enough to, you know, so I think about this with my wife. Have I done enough to make sure that she's happy, right? Like, am I, have I done the right things? Have I said the right things? Have I cleaned the house enough with her? Or have I done the sort of things that, that conditionally make her like me, right? We do this with our relationships. I will love the people that agree with me more than the people who don't. Right? We, we are born with this desire to have relationships be conditional because we can't conceive of them any other way, and then we think our relationship with God is conditional. God, you must love me because of something that I've done or something that's been done around me. Like I, I remember, I hope this is okay to bring up, I remember Bill talking about this, and his experience of pure grace was largely in realizing he thought that God loved him because of Jen. <laughs> You know, and then realize, which, which is probably true, but, you know, um, <laughs> his experience of saying, no, God actually loves me for me, period, right? That is what, what, what Paul is driving at. He's astonished because they've left this, this home of grace that is so embracing and amazing and astounding to then add conditions to it. They've effectively counterfeited grace, which is what we're going to talk about next. It's shocking, when you get pure grace, when you get God loves you because of who he is, not because of what you've done or who you are, 
because he wants to, to save you, redeem you, and know you, it is a freeing experience. And then so, it is so much more shocking than when we see people leave it and feel the temptation ourselves. So here's what we're going to do. Pick verse 9. We've talked a little bit about pure grace. We're going to pick up here in verse 7 and 9 rejecting, how do we maintain, sustain our relationship with God only by free grace? There is a part of this where we have to reject counterfeit grace. We're going to spend kind of the most of our time here because there's just a lot going on here. Verse 7 to 9, not that there is another one. That's, he's talking about a gospel, right? Verse, uh, end of verse 6. They're turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, right? Not that there is another way to God, to know God, but there are some who trouble you. They want to distort the grace, the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Just, just to try to drive, one little, is a kind of a, a Bible nerd comment. Verse 9, it's basically a repeat of verse 8. You have to remember in the ancient world, paper and ink were incredibly expensive. And so for him to go out of his way to write that phrase again, almost verbatim, is a big deal, right? We copy and scan and print things off like it's nobody's business, like trees are growing all over the place. They are, but you know, still. Like, <laughs> it was a big deal back then. So just, to, he's driving home a point, right? As we, um, as we have said to you before, now so I say again, if anyone is preaching you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed, right? And the main point of what's going on here, we're going to work through this. It's not a problem to not get the gospel totally right. Like, that's not what he's talking about. Like, it's not a problem to kind of, like, get your understanding of the gospel a little off from time to time or whatever. The problem, you'll notice, is the preachers. Did you notice verse 8 and 9? Preach, preached, preaching. Three times. So it's primarily that there is a false doctrine being taught, a false gospel being taught, and it's being enforced and led by other false pastors, right? So it's guys like me that are actually in the hot seat here that he's going after. He's going after this fact that it's not just that you got the gospel wrong, but that you've enforced what this gospel, what this grace is. You've got that wrong, and you're leading people away. Heresy, right? We, I, I feel like the word heresy gets used way too much. You know, this is a heresy, that's a heresy, whatever. Heresy is getting false doctrine combined with bad leadership, right? Teaching plus divisive leadership equals heresy. So if you think about all the ancient church and all these like heresies and all that stuff, is that they were not only teaching bad things, but they were dividing the church over those things. That was the heresy, and that's what's going on in Galatians. So that's why, for example, like if, you, if you take Galatians and you're kind of like, man, Paul's really... He's really got to be in his bond about this stuff going on here in Galatians. And then you read 1 Corinthians, like we just did this last year, and you're kind of like, I mean, he seemed angry there, but not as angry, right? In 1 Corinthians, right, you've got weird sex stuff. You've got, like, I don't know, like weird power dynamics. You've got some, like, hey, everybody's supposed to be celibate, which doesn't quite make sense with the other stuff. You know, like, hey, let's show off with our spiritual gifts. Like, some really weird stuff going on in 1 Corinthians, but something was different about what was going on in Galatians because they were getting the gospel, getting grace wrong in a way that was very different than 1 Corinthians. So, what were they teaching? 
Now, we're going to unpack this over the time, but basically what's going on in Galatians is that they were saying, look, in order to, in order to be a Christian, I know that you heard that we got to get rid of all that Old Testament law, but really we got to follow that stuff. That was basically what they were saying. They were like, look, you guys, not only do we need to believe in Jesus, yeah, that's great, that Jesus Messiah, great, he's a part of the team, he's a Jewish guy, we're on that, but all these Old Testament laws, you know, we, all the guys, circumcision, sorry, uh, dietary laws, look, we got to do the dietary law stuff, you know what, I know bacon's great, I know you just tasted it, no more, sorry, no more sausage, you know, we, we can't do any of that stuff. That's basically what they were saying. And here's the reason. I know this sounds kind of crazy as now, and we're going to get into this as we kind of work through the book of Galatians. But you have to understand their political situation at the time. The Jews in Jerusalem were being massively persecuted by the Jews of the day. Because, like we talked about last time, imagine, imagine you had Nancy Pelosi and the guy who put his feet up on her desk in the Capitol building, and you said, hey guys, we're going to make a church together. Like, it was that sort of contentious type of division between the Jews and the Gentiles. And they decided, you know what, guys, it would really help our brothers and sisters out in Jerusalem. It would, it would really take some heat off their back if, if you guys just, just did some of the, the Jewish stuff for a while. Like, can we just do, the, just do the Jewish rules, the laws for a little while? It'll make it seem like we're just kind of like another little branch within the Jewish family. Not a big deal. Our brothers and sisters in Jerusalem will have a little bit of some heat taken off of them. It'll be a little bit easier on them, right? You see, the heresy, I don't think it was actually driven by, like, somebody who was like, you know what, those Old Testament laws, they're really just the best. I really think that the motivations, at least at face value, had to have been something along the lines of, let's just try to make it a little bit easier for some, some people around us. Like, I, I don't think people wake up in the morning saying, how can I be a heretic? <laughs> like, I just don't think that's how people are motivated. But even still, Paul's saying, you guys are getting it wrong. You guys are, by doing that, understandable, there's ways to address that stuff. But guys, you are messing up the very nature of what the gospel is, right? Jesus plus Jewish law does not equal grace. So, I know we've been kind of talking about all this stuff. Here's, I, I want to throw like a history example out. And you guys, some of you guys are like into history. Um, we're going to throw a history example out um, because it's very subtle how to pick up on counterfeit grace. Like all this stuff, like... If, if I were to get up here and say, hey, guys, you know what? Jewish law, um, only wool, no, sorry, all the mixed uh, clothes you guys got, we got to get rid of that stuff. You guys would always kind of be like, Jacob, you're fired. Peter, you're great. You know, you just, <laughs> you just that's the way it would go. Be pretty easy. I'd be looking for a new job. Um, but it's subtle. Like all this stuff with the way, what the gospel is, is subtle. So let me throw up this history example. It's called, um, can, we, can we throw this up there? It's this moment called um, Achterader. Anybody, anybody big fans of Scotland? Scotland? Anybody? You guys? All right. Big fans? Not big fans. All right. We've got not, not a lot of big fans of Scot Scotland here. In the highlands of Scotland, in the early, 17, in the early 1700s, there was this little town called Achterader. Um, I can't use my, so you don't, you know, A-town, whatever. Um, and they had this part of their ordination process where they were asking effectively this question. Do people need to forsake their sin in order to come to Christ? At face value, you're kind of like, huh, that's weird. That's, I, I, there's, a, there's a part of the question that you think, you know what? Maybe. Do people need to leave their sin in order to come to Christ? It's a, it, it makes you pause, right? I'm not going to ask anybody to give the right answer on this because 
I don't want to embarrass anybody. Uh, but their answer is no. Do people need to leave their sin to come to Christ? Here's why we want to, the reason we want to say yes to this question is because, well, well, sin's bad. Jesus died to save us from our sin. We want to leave our sin. Like, we, isn't that a part of being a Christian is like the power of sin is released. We're no longer uh, slaves to sin. We now get to walk in holiness with the Holy Spirit indwelling us, all that stuff. Right. But you see, do people need to forsake their sin in order to come to Christ? What makes coming to Christ conditional? Right? It says, in order, have I truly come to Christ if I've still got sin in my life? Have I sufficiently dealt with the sin in my life in order to come to Christ? Have I actually truly deeply repented enough? Have I, have I uncovered all the sins that I need to repent of in order to come to Christ? That's why the answer to this question is no. Although, we obviously care about holiness. Like, that's not the question. Because this question gets after the nature of grace, just like our passage does. Right? They were trying to present another gospel. This, it has the feel, oh, here's another gospel. Like, this, this makes sense of the gospel. No. No, you see, the gospel is we look to Jesus for grace. Period. If that makes you feel uncomfortable, that's the point of grace. If you begin to feel like, what do I do? But I'm supposed, aren't, I, aren't I supposed to do something? Aren't I supposed to figure this out? Aren't I supposed to wear different clothes? I don't know. No, no. It's, we look to Jesus for grace. Period. That's what grace is. Right? The, the Galatians were saying, if we follow the law to get grace, it means we've earned grace. To this question, if we've forsaken our sin enough to get Jesus, it means we've earned Jesus. And that's not the way it works. See, we do not get God because he owes us. We get God because he wants us. We get God because he gives us himself, period. That is at the heart of all of what this book is about. God wants you to know him, period. So, how do we begin to identify counterfeit gospels today? That's, if we want to, we, if, I hope that you're feeling this. I, I, this is a part of like, when I was talking to David and Peter, I was like, I feel like this sermon is like totally flat because I can't quite get my arms around capturing what grace is. And it's like, that's the point, right? You, you can't quite, but you can get a taste of it. You can begin to see, okay, God, this is who you are for me. So then how do we then turn the question and say, all right, with this passage, Paul is fighting for them to get what grace truly is. So then how do we identify what Counterfeit Gospels are today. So the first thing, can we throw this up here? First thing I want to point out here is the marks of the Galatian heresy, right? First is they were troublers who claimed personal authority. We're going to work through this in the, in the Galatian letter, right? Actually, that, that word troublers is again used in, um, from First Chronicles. They were the troublers of Israel. They were troublers, right? They were causing trouble. People who caused division and divisiveness by their teaching, they claim personal authority. I've really got it in. I know that church has said this for 2,000 years, but you know what, guys? I've really got it licked. Second thing is they have an authoritative, divisive teaching, right? They bring something in, and they divide the church over something. I'm pretty cool with people teaching a lot of different stuff that I think is whacked out and crazy. Like, you know what? Hey, what? Let's float your boat, whatever, right? But if you're going to begin to divide and disturb God's people with it, that's where you're going to get my angry voice, right? Teaching, and then the third thing is 
teaching that changes the nature of the gospel and God's character, which is subtle, right? That's why that book, that whole like Octorotter Scottish thing, it's subtle, but it does ultimately change the nature of what, what grace is. So, rather than, I'm, I'm very hesitant to tell you, here are the Galatian heresies of our day, right? I have a few ideas, but um, I would rather try to look at this text and then equip you with questions to ask to help you begin to ask, to ask these questions. How do we begin to identify counterfeit gospels? How do we identify counterfeit grace around us? So I want to throw up these four questions. Next, next slide up here. And we're going to work through these. And I just want to, I'm just making these as suggestions. I'm not saying these are like the end-all be-all of how to identify counterfeit grace. But so I'm looking at this passage and thinking about what is it like to experience counterfeit grace. These are the, these are the directions that my mind goes. First one, does whatever this teaching is, does fill in the blank, make us think our relationship with God as Jesus plus fill in the blank equals grace or God's presence in my life, right? God is present in my life when it's Jesus, yeah, I, Jesus, great, plus whatever, right? And at face value, we're kind of like, no, of course not, I don't do that. But let me say this, do you ever feel hesitant to come to God in prayer because you haven't prayed. <laughs> That's how we begin to experience counterfeit grace, right? God doesn't say, well, when you've prayed 10 times in a week, then I'll begin to pray, then I'll begin to listen to you, right? That is, that is a counterfeit grace, right? Jesus plus doing my devotions. Have I done my devotions once this week? Have I done my devotions every day this week? Have I done my devotions enough? Now I know I've got a good relationship with God doing my devotions. Have I not yelled? Have I not yelled at my kids or my family or my friends or whatever? Have I not done anything like that? Have I not been angry? Have I been sober long enough to be able to get God's attention? Have I been sober, right? You realize if what we're saying is true about grace, you can be in the most whacked out high experience of your life and call out to Jesus for grace and you get it. That's the power of grace, is that we do not earn it or deserve it. Am I smart enough? Am I, but do, I have the, do I have my politics in the right position? Am I, have I been to the Sunday service enough, right? Have I, you begin to fill in the blank or whatever, the marker of have I prayed in tongues enough? Or am I, have I even experienced a spiritual gift? Whatever those markers are, right? If it's Jesus plus something to know that you have a, a solid relationship with God, that's a counterfeit grace. Next question. Is, it, is whatever this is, fill in the blank, being taught and unnecessarily dividing the church universally or locally? Um, this is maybe a little bit more like at face value, like, look, if somebody's teaching something to divide the church, and we're going to talk a little bit about this, the way I would frame this is, there are open-handed issues in the church and there's closed-handed issues in the church, right? Closed-handed issues in the church are kind of the things we're talking about right now. The nature of grace, who God is, that he saved us in Jesus, that the Bible is his word, you know, these sort of things, right? That God cares about, you know, the issue, the Sermon on the Mount issues, you know, the poor and the needy and the broken. These, these are closed-handed issues. Open-handed issues are like, I don't know, like, are you Presbyterian or congregational? <laughs> Do you believe in spiritual gifts or not? The, the other open-hand issues, what are leadership positions in the church? Can women be pastors? Can women not be pastors? That's kind of like, I, I have an opinion about that, and we have thoughts about that as a church, but, you know, like, 
I don't think that people who do differently than me are like denying the nature of who God is. Like that's not the, I just don't think that that's, are you Arminian or Calvinist, right? Are you Calvinist enough, right? I can out-Calvinist anybody, you know? Like, it's your worship style. Like, do you, do you use drums or do you not use drums? Do you use contemporary songs or do you use hymns? Like, those are open-handed issues. Baptism, right? You want to dunk babies? Go dunk babies. I just don't think Jesus does that, you know? <laughs> like, that's fine. Like, th- those are open-handed issues. Those are not things, I mean, we have particular congregations committed to versions of those issues, but it's just, it's just easier for us to be in life together around these issues, right? Our Presbyterian brothers and sisters, love them. I think they're dead wrong on a few things, but that's fine. You know, like, who, they haven't changed the nature of who God is. That is what, what Paul is driving at here, is there's something being taught that's unnecessarily dividing or fracturing, or the, the word in the, the Bible would be schismatic, like sch- causing schism in the body of Christ, the church, universal or local. And kind of an affiliate question to that, does our affection for other brothers and sisters in the faith lessen when we see them missing the mark of faithfulness that we have accomplished. So, on all those issues that I just led, open-handed, closed-handed issues, right? Do I love my brothers and sisters less who have different opinions on me about spiritual gifts, church leadership, I don't know, the pats? Like, I, just think about all the issues you could have issues, you know, commitments about, right? If I'm beginning to love them less because they have a different opinion about something or a different teaching about something, and they're doing it peacefully and not being a big deal. There's probably something in my heart that really begins to not understand the nature of grace. Because God has pursued them and called them and made them a part of his family. Is my love better than God's that is going to be conditional on these things? Are you guys picking up kind of, are you guys tracking what I'm talking about? Man, we're going to take that as the Holy Spirit's blessing. I don't know what we're talking about, right? Holy Spirit likes what we're talking about. The fourth question, does fill in the blank, whatever this teaching is, you know, that you have to be baptized in the spirit or whatever, cause me to feel ashamed, hesitant, fearful, etc., of my relationship with God, right? Here's what I mean. Whatever this is, do you, do you feel like whatever this is, does it cause you to feel ashamed or hesitant or fearful in my relationship with God? I've seen this, at least in my experience, but I've seen this, I think, with others as well, is that it's particularly abuse in church context. I haven't done the right things, said the right things, you know, lived in the church the right way. I haven't had the right opinions. I haven't agreed, I haven't agreed with the pastor enough or whatever. And now I feel this, 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 this um, experience, this unmooring where I feel ashamed to be a Christian. I feel hesitant in my relationship with God. I feel fearful to talk to God because I just can't I haven't met the mark somehow. And the mark is, it's ambiguous. I don't know where it is. I haven't measured up somehow, right? I don't know what that is for you. Man, that wind's really strong, isn't it? But whatever blank is, it works as a law over you. And you cannot meet it. And it's not, and it's because you were not made to. Right? The nature of grace is to say that there is nothing there's nothing. There is no church system. There's no um, sins. There are no weaknesses. There is nothing that can keep you from experiencing, from receiving, from having the grace of God, period. Like that's the point of what Paul's talking about. Grace is grace and you do nothing to get it. And if you do nothing to get it, then there's nothing that's going to keep you from experiencing its lavish goodness upon you, right? So 
I will just throw this out there. At counterfeit Gospels today that, that I, just, I, f- I begin to feel very, very nervous about. First one I think is pretty obvious to kind of point out is the prosperity gospel stuff. Right? You got Joel Osteen and those guys. Um, they are knocking it out of the park for the prosperity gospel, but they're not knocking it out of the park for Jesus. It, tri- it ties God's blessing to material success and phys- physical health, making God's grace dependent upon our faith, our faith seeds, if you heard that phrase, our prophetic prayers, whatever. And the second one that I begin to kind of think through, and I, it's hard for me to begin to nail this one down, but this whole idea of Christian nationalism is really bothering me. It ties God's promises and blessings to, Amer- to a particular American culture and political agendas over against God's global family. It makes God's grace dependent upon our political affiliation rather than our union with Christ himself. I'm sure we could probably go through these questions and figure out other counterfeit gospels today. The reason I gave you these questions, and you can have my manuscript, you can see them all there, whatever, is to equip you to begin to think, what does it look like to experience this pure grace of Jesus? And then what are the ways in which the world around us, the culture around us, the church culture around us is driving us one way or another to begin to fall into this trap that the Galatians fell into? We should experience this from Paul as when your kids are running across the street and there's traffic coming. (laughs) Come back. Get into this grace. Experience its richness for you. Okay. I could probably say a lot more. You guys have been very patient. Let's close up by looking in verse 10, and then we'll pray. The way Paul resolves this, and we'll just kind of touch on this briefly, is to receive motivating grace. So we've talked about how to maintain our relationship with God only on pure grace. Well, the first is we keep, we keep pure grace. Um, we reject counterfeit grace, and then we receive motivating grace. Verse 10, again, Paul's a little punchy, so for now, I'm, if for now, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And what he's talking about there is his motivations, right? Am I seeking, am I seeking to make things easy for other people by just modifying how we think about grace just a little bit, make things a little bit easier? Or am I seeking just to honor who God is in Jesus for us and say, this is what pure grace is? Honestly, I think he's talking about that also because I think the Galatian heresy and other heresies similar to it they have, an, they have a motivation, they have a motivation of seeking approval of some kind other than just receiving who God is in Jesus. God has made his final point about who he is and how we're to re- relate to him in Jesus. And it motivates us to be free to be able to say, you know what, God, I'm just going to be true for who you are and what you've done in me and what you're saying. And I can trust the rest to you, right? You, you recognize in this, in this version of the gospel, in this version of grace, in this version of what God is, you're free to be who you are, be a total mess. Actually know that God's not going to think less of you for being who you are. He actually, he accounted for all your idiocy when he saved you in Jesus, right? And now He is not only with you, but leading you to become more like Jesus, not because you've earned it or deserve it, but because it's who he is. God is who he is for us, and that motivates us to have this, there's a freeing, there's a freeing air in being with this God and being in community with his people like this. 
I don't have to prove anybody. Like, I, I, I have a lot of hang-ups about, like, I think I have to prove myself. Like, am I, like, a smart enough pastor? Like, do I know my Bible verses well enough? Can I quote the Greek enough that you guys are impressed? It's like, no, I can just be who I am and just know that, you know what? God loves to use a bunch of weirdos like me and you to get to know who he is. When we begin to receive who God truly is, his gracious, loving, holy, completely self-giving God, we begin to find freedom in our motivation. God is happy to be self-giving. He is happy to be gracious. He's happy to make you a part of his family. So then how do we answer this question? How do we sustain our relationship with God? We sustain it only, we sustain it, we sustain it only by his free, pure, and good grace. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.